0: Morning church. You may notice I'm not Pastor Don. He's better looking than I am. He is sick today. Uh, so let's remember our pastor in prayer. Uh, you know he's been having some treatments and all and God's really blessed him in that. He's had his last one and what you know now he's got a cold. So I'm sure his immune system is down a little bit. And so he he called me yesterday morning and said he wasn't feeling well. But uh, we know God's going to be with him as he has all along, and he'll be strong again. So remember, Pastor Don, today as you pray, we'll, we'll have prayer for him around the altar when we end, including Sister Carol. I think Sister Carol got it first and, quite frankly, handed it off to him. So you know how, you know how, you know how that goes. So, uh, But we do want to remember our pastor in prayer. A uh, lot of birthdays this month. Man, November is a big birthday month in this church. Thank goodness for Facebook. It tells us everything about everybody. You know, you don't have any privacy anymore because of Facebook. And one in particular, our youth pastor, Michael Britt. Where are you, Michael? Stand up. Happy birthday, Michael. <laughs> the last year of his 20s. I told him it's all downhill after 30. So we'll see. If you had a birthday in November, if anyone else had a birthday in November, stand up. Because I know there's a bunch of you. Don't be scared. Tony, you ain't gonna stand up. All right? Tony's 29 too, in case you didn't know. That's what he told me anyway. Happy birthday, everyone. God bless you. And Merry Christmas. Is it okay to say that this early? I mean, the decorations have been out in Lowe's since mid-October. I think it's okay to say Merry Christmas. You know, Brother Dub Carricker, Pastor Dub Carricker, who used to pastor Christian Assembly, said something at one of the DMIP meetings one time. I've never forgotten it. He said, one thing about Christmas, it forces our culture to deal with the person of Jesus Christ. And that's a true statement. No matter what you do, they can reject him. They can say it's a hoax. They can do whatever. They'll do the same things that they've been doing to Jesus from the day he come to the earth. But you're, you're forced to deal with this. Christ child, and make a decision about what you're going to do with Jesus. I know what I've done with him. I've made him my savior. I made him my savior. He came as a babe. He's coming back as a king. He came as a babe. He's coming back as a king. I recently had the, uh, I saw a story on 60 Minutes uh, a couple months ago about a young man named Christian Polisic. Christian Polisic. Christian Polisics from Hershey, Pennsylvania. And he's a, he was a soccer player that's been scouted by the pros at 12 years old. He actually moved to Germany at 16 to play with the most prestigious youth league in the world. He became an international sensation at the age of 16, and he's the youngest American to play on the national team. He makes about $8 million a year. I think he's about 18 or 19 now. He makes about $8 million a year and has been offered up to $40 million by top European teams. I saw the, uh, the interview, and they talked to his mom and his dad about his success. And if you know anything about youth athletics today, and you may have seen it before, too many parents try to live vicariously through their children. They drive them into youth camps from the time they can walk, and they, they, wanna, you know, they want them to be these great stars. And the downfall to that is many times by the time an athlete is reaching their prime, they hate the sport. And they, they asked these parents, they said, was that you, Did you do, was it you in all the camps doing this, doing that? And they said, no, none of that, none of that. They said Christian had an internal drive. He would be out practicing on his own. He, they would find him out in the yard practicing. And then they went on to say that he was smaller than everybody else because he, he played with bigger kids because he was so good. And his mom said, you know, I even noticed that uh, the parents would be kind of laughing and joking and saying, oh, that's nice, who brought their little brother to play? But then as they watched him play with these big kids, they were like, wow, who is this, who is this kid playing soccer? Because he could play so much better even than his older competitors. And his father said this, he said, I knew that it was important that he maintain his competence. He even had a sign made and put over the garage door so every time his son would go in and out of that garage, he would see that word that says confidence. His father said this, he said it was the one thing he could not lose. He said because he's out there playing with those bigger boys and if he ever lost his confidence as such a smaller player, he didn't know that he'd regain it. And I've seen that true for myself, I I coached a little league at Orange uh, Recreational Department years ago for wrestling. And I helped coach in the high school in wrestling when Colin was there and then for a few years after he left. And I've seen what happens to an athlete when they lose their confidence. You see it. They lose a few matches that they shouldn't lose, then all of a sudden they start losing matches they really should win because they've lost their confidence. Many of you heard about momentum shift. Athletic sportscasters will talking about there's been a momentum shift. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the team that's got the momentum is the one that's really doing well. That comes back to confidence. And I've watched what it does, and then what it's imperative as coaches then to move in and and encourage this young athlete and say, "You've, you've prepared yourself, you have this, you have our backing, you've trained hard, you can do this. You've got to build them up when they start to lose their confidence. I think the Apostle Paul knew the importance of confidence as well in many of his writings to many of the churches, Rome, Galatia, Ephesians, Philippians, which is one that I'll deal with today out of the Church of Philippi, Paul talked often and over and over about being confident, confidence. Paul was confident in several things, but the main thing Paul was confident in, he was confident in his God, in Christ Jesus. He was confident in his destination and he was confident in in the saints. And this is especially true as he spoke throughout the book of Philippians. Paul wrote the book of Philippians to the church at Philippi. It was his first Roman imprisonment. He was in prison. He was waiting trial. And he wrote this book primarily to thank the Philippians for a financial gift that they had given. They had supported him. They were a very mission-minded church. And they had supported him in his ministry along the way. And they had raised a a fairly large gift. And Paul wrote the the book of Philippians to thank them for that gift. But all throughout the book of Philippians, the primary theme of the book of Philippians is one of joy and rejoicing. But all throughout that book, Paul talks about, I am confident, I am confident, I am confident. And he wasn't confident in himself, he was confident in his God. Look at your um, outline for the introduction. It says, the concept of confidence... Particularly, and if you're here and you don't have an outline, raise your hand and I'll have Brother Steve get you one, if you don't have an outline. Introduction says the concept of confidence, particularly self-confidence, is something that is heralded by our society. Self-confidence is often tied to self-worth, but it's too often grounded in things that are temporal and are passing away, such as looks, abilities, and money. We see that oftentimes. We see pro athletes that are confident. We see people that are confident because they're successful in their careers. We see people that are confident in their physical abilities. And that's okay. It's okay to have a sense of self-confidence. But if it's grounded in those things, and you can talk to me as I've gotten a little older and many others got, those things are passing away. The looks are going away. The physical abilities are going away. And ultimately, the money's gonna go away or either you're gonna go away and the money's gonna be left. That's what's gonna happen. When who we are, what we're here for, and where we're going is grounded in Christ, then we have confidence in ourselves that produces joy in all circumstances. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your holy word, God, that gives us direction in all parts of our lives. It speaks to every area of life. And I thank you that you haven't left us, God, to try to figure this out on our own but you've given your precious Holy Word and you've given us your Holy Spirit to reveal it to us and to help us walk through this life until we're in your presence. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Philippians 1, 3 through 6. Paul said this. This was his opening statement to the church at Philippi. He said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident, Paul said, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here today, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, and you have not, you feel the pull of the Spirit in your heart at any point in this service, come, receive him as your Savior. Let him begin a good work in you. Once he begins the work in you, he's going to complete it. He's a faithful God. He's going to carry you to different places. He's going to bring you through different things. He's going to mold you in ways differently than he's going to mold me. But he's got to work in you, and he's going to complete that work until his day, until you're glorified in his presence. He will continue to work on you. And that's what Paul wanted them to know. He said, I'm confident of that. I'm confident of that very thing. So what was Paul's confidence grounded in? It was grounded in three things. It was grounded in his confidence in God. As I mentioned earlier, there's a danger when confidence is only in ourselves. Look at Proverbs 14 and 16, what happens when our confidence becomes grounded in ourselves. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. It's a book of wisdom. And he said this. He said, a wise man fears and departs evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. Turn the news on every day. You'll see fools raging they their self confident they're confident in themselves, they're confident in their abilities, they're confident in their government, they're confident in what they believe, but it's not grounded in truth. Uh, many times it's grounded in evil. And Paul says, a wise man departs from that stuff, and a fool rages in his self-confidence. Where does it ultimately end up? Solomon goes on to say in Proverbs sixteen eighteen, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We've all seen that. We've seen it in pro athletes. We've seen it in preachers. We've seen it amongst our brethren and our sisters in the Lord. Pride is typically what comes in first and is what leads to a fall. I was watching a documentary uh, this past week on uh, the decade of the 80s. And I enjoy those things, particularly the 80s, because that was the year, that was the decade of my high school years. And I think we're most, at least I am most nostalgic about uh, the decade of our high school years. It's kind of where we grew up, and it's funny to look at the musicians. You know, Tammy and I talk about that sometimes. She said her dad walked by one time, and I don't know if some of you may remember Boy George or not, but um, she walked by, and he was on the radio. He was a weird-looking guy, and she said her dad stopped and looked and said, what in the world is that? And I think every generation has, you know, the kids have things, and you're like, what in the world? But I enjoy watching those things about what was happening in the generation where I kind of grew up. But this particular one, it started out and it said that the, the decade of the 80s was the decade of the econ- when the economic boom started. And it talked about Wall Street and how young people were graduating from college, going to work on Wall Street, and at 22, 23 years old they were becoming millionaires. I mean millions of dollars. And a guy said this that they were talking to. He said, what happened? We got a God complex. We got a God complex. We have money. We have power. We have all these things. We got a high-speed job. They become like gods to themselves. And the documentary went on to say, guess what followed that? Cocaine use. And everything that came with that, the addictions, promiscuity. Then the next part of that particular documentary, was at the, that was the year that AIDS come out and all those things that go with it. And that's what happens when we as human beings become prideful. We don't need God. We've got money. We've got this. We've got that. And we can do it on our own. We get the God complex. And that's what he said they had, the God complex. I meant to write this down. Uh, I meant to put this in your um, outline. If you have a pen and you want to write this, you can. This just came to me as I was preparing this. Confidence in self produces pride. If your confidence is in yourself, it's gonna produce pride. Look at me, look at what I can do, look how much money I have, look how strong I am, look how good of an athlete I am, look how good of this I am or that I am, and the list goes on and on. If you have confidence in yourself, it's gonna produce pride, and if you're not careful, that pride is gonna go before destruction and it's gonna end in a fall. But confidence in God produces humility. Confident in God produces humility. A truly humble man is hard to find, yet God delights in honor. God delights to honor such selfless people. Booker T. Washington, the, re- the renowned black educator, was an outstanding example of this truth. Shortly after he took over the presidency of the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, he was walking in an exclusive section of town when he was stopped by a wealthy white woman. Not knowing the famous Mr. Washington by sight, she asked if he would like to earn a few dollars by chopping wood for her. Because he had no pressing business at the moment, Professor Washington smiled, rolled up his sleeves, and proceeded to do the humble chore that she requested. When he was finished, he carried the logs into the house and stacked them by the fireplace. A little girl recognized him and later revealed his identity to the lady. The next morning, the the embarrassed woman went to see Mr. Washington in his office at the Institute and apologized profusely. It's perfectly all right, madam, he replied. Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. She shook his hand warmly and ensured him that his meek and gracious attitude had endeared him and his work to her heart. Not long afterward, she showed her admiration by persuading some wealthy acquaintances to join her in donating thousands of dollars to the Tuskegee Institute. Booker T. Washington wasn't a man eat up with pride. He was a man who was grounded in God, and he could say, yeah, I'll chop you wood. And God used his humility then to provide for his need. We as Christians should display that humility. Christ displayed that humility. We'll see that humility this whole season, that he humbled himself to become as a human and then humbled himself on the cross for our salvation. Humility is perfect quietness of heart. It is for me to have no trouble, never to be fretted or vexed or irritated or sore or disappointed. It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret and be at peace in a deep sea of calmness when all around is trouble. It is the fruit of the Lord Jesus Christ's redemptive work on Calvary's cross manifested in those of whose are he of his own who are definitely subject to the Holy Spirit. And some of you experience that. When the storms of life are raging and you just walk into your quiet place, close the door, and kneel down before Heavenly Father and, and, and sense the, the stillness of being in his presence. And confidence comes from that. Confidence. Paul was in prison. In this, in this book in Philippi, he was in prison. And he's talking about joy and rejoicing and all the... How can he do that? Because he had confidence in God and he had a humble spirit. Paul told the same thing to the church at Galatia in Galatians chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. He says, As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For if in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Paul writing there, he's talking about the law. But he's saying there's people out there, they want you to keep the law, they want you to do right. Now they're not going to, but they want you to do it so they can brag on how they're making you do it. That's what he's saying. But Paul is saying, hey, I don't brag in what I can do and what I not, cannot, not can do. And if you read Philippians, and I hope you will. Here's your homework assignment for the week. If you're between cha- books in the Bible and you're thinking, yeah, I need to f- pick a book this week to read. Read Philippians. It's four chapters. And shame on you if you're one of those that's not reading the Bible. If you are, then get it and <laughs> dust off of it and open it up and read the book of Philippians, four chapters. Before you can see it, You can read it in 20 minutes. And read about this man in prison. And read about the joy he had. Because Paul in there, he said, hey, if anybody can boast, I can. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was zealous for my faith. I persecuted the Christians. I was trained by the best. And he goes on to say, I count it all loss for Christ. All of it. Because I've humbled myself. He was confident in his God. We should have confidence in Christ. Paul talking to the church at Philippi in Philippians four thirteen he said I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me all things not some things all things you see a lot of athletes use this I've seen this on athletes jerseys I've seen it on their their travel bags Christian athletes and although in this particular setting it doesn't necessarily apply to an athletic event it can. It, it creates a precept for us that we can do all things. That's confidence. And I don't know what you're facing. Maybe it's a job interview coming up. Maybe there's a health condition. Maybe there's something going on in your family. Maybe you know you're on the, on the front end of a trial and it's going to be hard on you. Remind yourself, as Paul did, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And when he said that, he had, he had told the, the church, he said, look, I know what it is to be well-fed or hungry. I know what it is to have a lot and not have a lot. That's what he had told him, But he said, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me ask you this. Are you doing all things of your life in him? Are you raising your family through him? Your job is your job or promotions through him? Are you facing trials through him? You have to be in relationship with him to live your life through him. And you can do all things through him who gives you strength. We should be confident. Paul was confident in his salvation. We should be confident in our salvation. Jesus, talking to his disciples in John 27 through 29, said this. He said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them from my Father's hand. When you come to Christ, you don't earn your salvation. You submit yourself to him, and he provides it. And once you do that, you belong to him. You belong to him. Now, you have to stay faithful. You have to let him mold you and make you. And you have to let him work on you, and that's a lifelong process. But Jesus says, they hear my voice, and I'm going to give them eternal life. You know, we were, uh, several years ago, we went to the church's convention, Sister Carol, it was the one in Orlando. And the hotel that we stayed in was actually in the airport. You remember that? And so you would come through the airport where the restaurants and all were, and you'd look up, and there'd be rows and rows of balconies, exterior hallways that led to the rooms of the hotel. And I remember coming through there at the airport, and you got all these people around, and you got all this murmuring and all the talking that's going on around. And all of a sudden, I hear this little voice go, Daddy! And I stopped, and I said, That's Colin." Of all those voices, of all those sounds, of everything I heard, I heard my son's voice, and it stopped. And I started looking, and I could see him way up there, and he was with Tammy, and he was waving, and I was looking at him. Folks, that's how it is with our Heavenly Father. When you speak, he knows your voice. If you're his, he knows your voice. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows what you're facing. And if you belong to him, he knows and he's not left you. And he will see you through whatever it is. He saw Paul through imprisonments, shipwrecks, beatings, because he was confident in his God. Philippians 1.6, which is part of the opening scripture, Paul says, Being confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I was... um, In Vegas, some of you know I volunteer with the Billy Graham Association as a chaplain. I go out to some of the incidents where people are either killed or a lot of shootings and natural disasters. And I was out in Las Vegas, and there was a lady. She was standing by one of the crosses. They had 50 crosses out there for the people who were were killed in that. 500 people shot, 50 killed. And this lady was standing there, and I walked up to her, and I said, did you know one of these victims? She said, my daughter knew this young lady right here. And so we stood there and we spoke for a minute. And I said, what about you? I said, do you, do you know what it is to have peace with God through Christ Jesus? And this is how she answered me. And church, this is, how, this is why it's important for you to work on your evangelism techniques. Because you need to be prepared for what people are going to say. People don't know. But she said what would be a very common response. She said, you know, I was raised in the Catholic church and I was baptized in the Catholic church. And then I went to a Baptist church and I was baptized in the Baptist church. So I think if I died, I'll go to heaven. I think if I died, I'd go to heaven. And that you, we can be critical of that, but that's, that's people's thinking that don't understand the scriptures, that don't understand God's word, don't understand the gospel message. It's not clearly conveyed sometimes, even in our own churches. But you know, I was able to say to her, and if you haven't read 1 John, I, you read 1 John, I've read 1 John and studied 1 John because I need 1 John. I need to be reminded of who I am in the Lord. I don't, I don't mind telling you that. There's many times I question, I'm like, God, do you even still love me? Am I even still saved? I, I get there some. And it's some of background and other things. But if the devil, if he, can do, if he can make you doubt your salvation that you're not even saved, he'll make you ineffective for him for the rest of your life. But I told her this, I said, in 1 John 5, it says this, these things are written that ye may know that you have eternal life. I don't have to think, I don't have to wonder, that ye may know that you have eternal life. You need to be secure in your salvation. Jesus did that work on the cross, and he did not do it for you to question it or for me to question it. It's a done deal. And all my faith and all my hope for my future, for where I'm headed, from where I'm going, is in that cross and in that resurrection. That's where it's at. It's right there. And Paul was confident in that. Paul was confident in his God. He was also confident in his destination. When you know where you're going, when you know where you're going to end up, it gives you a whole lot of confidence in what you're doing. How could a man be beaten and do go through all the things? He knew where he was headed. In a lot of ways, and if you read through the book of Philippians, Paul was ready to go. He said, you know what? <laughs> For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I stay here with you, that's okay, but I'm ready to go. He was ready to go where the Lord is. He was ready. The, life is hard sometimes, isn't it? Church, and as you get a little bit older, and as I get a little bit older, I know when you're young, when you when you're real young, I'm, I can't help but look over here. at This couple right here, you young? <laughs> I, don't I don't embarrass her. You know, you think, man, I got a lot of living to do. I've got. I'm enjoying my school. I enjoy what I'm doing. I, you know, I've got a lot of living to do. And heaven sometimes seems like heaven can wait, man. I, and you know what? It's okay to live life and enjoy life, isn't it? You enjoy and live life so much better when it's lived through Christ and enjoy the things. But when you get a little bit older, you start to get a little more homesick. When you have a lot of people up there waiting on you, you start to think more about it. We uh, put our Christmas tree up this past week, and we stood there and I looked at it. And there was we have an ornament for to remember Tammy's uh, dad, my mom, Hiram. And as I stood there and looked at them, you know, you, you think about life and a little bit of water comes to your eyes. It makes me think, I look forward to the day I see him again. I look forward to the day I see him again. Because life can be hard, but you've got to know where you're going and Paul knew where he was going. We have a place prepared for us and it was prepared, it was prepared for him by Jesus himself. Jesus talking to his disciples again in John 14, 1 through 3. Before he said this, he told his disciples, he said, Look, I'm about to leave. I'm not going to be with you much longer. And, of course, Peter, you know, always the first one to speak up. He goes, Where are you going, Lord? I mean, we're just getting started in this thing. Where where are you you going? He said, I'm I'm going to be offered up, and I'm going to to die, and I'm going to leave. Go away. Whoa, whoa, I I can't let that happen. I'll die with you. You know the story, Jesus and Peter. (laughs) You'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. He could not never see himself doing that, but he did. But Jesus knew their heart would be troubled. And you know, sometimes in this life our hearts are troubled. Even when we're in relationship with him, our hearts are troubled sometimes. The death of a loved one troubles our hearts. The trials of life sometimes trouble our hearts. But he told him this, he said, "'Let not your heart be troubled. "'You believe in God, believe also in me. "'In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where you are, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus has prepared a place for us to go. That is our destination. Paul knew that was his destination. And writing to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians verse 5, Paul realized that there is a, a, a heavenly home waiting on us, and it's been guaranteed My reservation is made. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 and 1. Paul said, now he has... uh Uh-oh, Tammy. That's the one verse I didn't have written down. (laughs) She's going to get in trouble when I get home. (laughs) There it is. It says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens if this old tent right here gets destroyed i have another home it's a home in heaven it's a home made by god that's where it's made and, and you know what and my reservation is, is sealed it's there how many of you ever go going to a hotel and walk in with your reservation they didn't have it you know, that, that is so irritating if i'm going to do a late check in i always call and say look i'm going to check in late now don't give my hotel room away i'm going to need it because you never know they might give that thing away well this one is not going to be given away because it's guaranteed to me. It's guaranteed to me. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians 5.5. 5. He said, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. God has prepared this very house who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Not be, that reservation is not going to be revoked. It's going to be waiting on me when I get there. It'll be waiting on you when you get there. But he went on to say to the church at Corinth, So we we're always confident, knowing that while we we're at home in the body, we we're absent from the Lord. We're in this body. we got living to do. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. I don't walk by what I see all the time. I walk by what the Lord says and what his word says. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Confident in our destination. Paul was confident in his God. He was confident in his destination. And he was confident... In his saints. Romans 15 and 14. Paul writing to the church at Rome. He said, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Paul was confident. You know, throughout all of Philippians as he talked to the church at Philippi, he, he let them know that he cared for them, that he needed them. He, every letter he wrote, he wrote to encourage the saints And also said, you're an encouragement to me. And here in writing to the church at Rome, he told them that he was confident they were full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to admonish one another. We should be confident in one another's goodness. That's one of the fruit of the Spirit. If you're saved, you have. They're not one fruit, not multiple fruits. It's one fruit. And one of those fruits is goodness. There's nothing good in me but Christ, and nothing good in you but Christ. But when you come to him, you get that goodness. And we should strive to see that goodness in each other, not see the negative, not be trying there was an old saying back when we used to work, say, don't catch somebody doing something wrong, catch somebody doing something right." Let's catch each other doing something right. Full of goodness. We should be confident in, our, in, in, our, in the knowledge that we're filled with. What are the knowledge that we're, we're filled with, the knowledge of the Lord? Not our own knowledge, not our own ways, but the knowledge of the Lord, and we're confident that we're filled with that knowledge. And we should continue, the Bible says over and over, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. To continue to grow in that. Continue to grow in that. And also to admonish one another. Now, the word admonish, oftentimes, the first thing generally you're going to think about is that's to chastise, that's to beat each other down, and that's to just, you know, talk about each other all the time. That's not what admonish always means. Challenging each other is part of admonishment. You know that your brother or your sister is in sin, is, in, is living in unrepentant sin, then we should, we should challenge our brothers and our sisters. And the Bible tells us, there's a, there's, just like everything else, it lays out the way that should be done. And it doesn't mean that you go over to your, to your uh, friend and say, you ain't never gonna believe what I heard Larry was doing. Pray, pray for sister so-and-so, let me tell you what I heard. That's not how it's done. That's not how it's done. We go to them, we, take a, we go to our brother and sister, and if they won't repent, then we take some with us. And then you know what? If they won't repent and they become rebellious, we cut them loose. Now that sounds hard, but that's what the Bible says. Cut them loose. Because it'd be better that their body be destroyed and maybe when they get so deep in their sin, that's what happened to the prodigal. He got so immersed in his sin and life got so bad, he said, I need to go back to the father's house. And, and sometimes that's what it takes. That's what it takes. And when you come back, or if they repent, then what do we do? We restore them. We walk along beside them, and we build them back up. That's what admonishment... Jack Hayford said admonishment is exhorting, encouraging. That can also mean what I just talked about, but it's also encouraging each other in the Lord and instructing. We should instruct each other. Jack Hayford, I have this on your paper. Jack Hayford said Christians are often the best counselors for one another. It never ceases to amaze me the people who will go get counseling from someone who's a believer and they'll get counseling. And I'm not opposed to secular counselors, okay? But I'm talking about if it's professional counseling, that may be one thing. I, I If I need counseling, I hope to be able to find a professional Christian counselor. They're harder to find, but I hope I could. But as I'm making decisions, and even today I have accountability partners. If I've got something I'm thinking about, I'm having a struggle with something. Why in the world am I going to go talk to somebody who don't know anything about God, His plans, His Word, how it applies to my life? I'm going to go seek out someone that I trust in those areas. Whether it's finances, whether it's making a big decision in life. Jack Hayford said, Christians are often the best counselors for one another, especially when they understand the will of God as taught in the Scripture and are able to apply Scripture rightly to life. Folks, the scripture is everything we need for godly living. And if you'll take that and apply it to your life, apply it to your circumstances, you got to know it, you got to read it, you got to study it. But if you'll take it and apply it to your life, many, 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 many of the things that people get themselves messed up in, they would have never got messed up in if they had simply applied the word of God to their lives. And lastly, we should be encouragers of each other in the faith and in joy. Paul had said to the church at Philippi, I don't know if I'm going to stay here. I don't know if, what happens to Rome, whether I'm going to die or whether I'm going to live. But if I remain, he said in Philippians 1.25, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all of your progress and joy of faith. Paul said, if I stay here with you, I'm going to continue in your progress. You're going to continue to be a blessing to me. I'm going to try to continue to be a blessing to you. And we're going to, we're going to enjoy our faith. We're going to have joy in our faith. Paul was confident in God. He was confident in his destination. He was confident in the saints. And that's what, why Paul could sit in a prison over and over and talk of joy and peace because he knew the God that he served. He knew if they took his head, and they did, by the way. Paul got martyred for his faith. He said, hey, I'm about to be poured out in like a drink offering. They're coming to get me. But I have, finished the, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and there now lays up for me a crown of righteousness. He knew that, and it gave him confidence. And he was confident in his brothers and sisters and the Lord, that we too would keep the faith. So let's look at the benefits. I'm going to ask Brother Matt and the team if they'll come forward. Let's look at some of the benefits of confidence, of having confidence in God. We have a greater spiritual growth and become stronger Christians. When your faith is grounded in him, you become stronger in your walk with him. You don't worry enough so much about your destination. You don't worry so much about what's happening in your life. Your faith is grounded in him and it's greater spiritual growth and we become stronger Christians when our confidence is in God. We have greater personal achievements. We have greater personal achievements. It's okay for us to excel in life. It's okay. I remember going through the promotional processes in the police department. Those things were grueling. Rick can speak to that. We used to talk about that. We hated those things, because they were very grueling. They would rent out an entire hotel, and they would have different floors, and here you had to go to something called an in-basket. Here you had to go to an interview. And here you had to go, you know, do a role play. And they were designed to shake you up. They were designed to put pressure on you. And they did a good job at it. And each time you went to a next level of promotion, you had to go through one of those things. And I hated them. But I did prepare myself. God expects us to do our part, church. We have to do our part. Too many times we sit back and say, well, God, I want you to do it all for me. No, we have to do our part. And I would prepare myself for those promotional processes. But you know what took the pressure off? And I still do this with other things in life today. I got there early now. I didn't want to be late. You're late, you're doomed. You ain't even gonna be able to compete. But I would kneel down at the couch before I left. I'd leave about an hour early I'd just sit in my car. I didn't have to worry about being late, having a wreck or something happen. But I'd sit down, I'd kneel down at that couch and I'd say, Lord, I've, I've prepared myself. My life's in your hands. I was confident in who he was and I was confident and I still am who I am in him. And if it's your will that I be promoted, great. I'll do the best job I can. But if it's not, that's okay too because my life is in your hands. And I'd get up from there and I'd get in my car and I'd drive over to do my promotional process with all the peace in the world. And that comes from having confidence in God and that He's got my life in His hands. He's got your life in His hands. We have greater peace in our lives and a sense of joy and happiness is greater. It's hard to look it up we went over Thanksgiving and went and visited the tombstones many of you may have for the holidays or will it's hard to look at an ornament on a Christmas tree of a loved one that's gone and reflect on that but I stand there with all the confidence of God that I have a mom that knew the Lord Hiram, I knew him, her dad with all the confidence standing there looking at him remembering, remembering the memories of life and how great they were but knowing that that is going to be eternal It didn't end when we put them in the ground. It won't end for you when we put you in the ground or you put me in the ground. Just beginning. And I have confidence in that. And it gives a sense of joy and greater happiness than you'll get anywhere. And we also make a greater and more powerful impact in the lives of others. Church, that's what we're called to do. We're called to make an impact in the lives of others. I don't know who, who you have that you can make an impact on, but this Christmas season, make an impact in someone's life. Reach out to someone in your family. Reach out to a coworker. Make an impact in someone's life. Some of you here today, you, are, you might be struggling with this. You might say, Larry, you just don't know what I'm going through. And my confidence is shaking a little bit. I'm struggling. Life's being hard right now. And I, I know who God is, I'm confident in him, but I'm just having a hard time with life right now. We're going to open the altar in a minute, you can come. But the most important thing that you've got to have to have this confidence in God is you've got to have this relationship with him. You've got to have the relationship with him. You've got to have a personal, intimate, abiding relationship with the God of heaven through Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't have that, you know you don't have that, you sense the Spirit of God dealing with you, the altar's open. This altar is open. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do. And the biggest thing that keeps people from doing it in this culture today is what I started out with, is pride. What are people going to think about me? What are people going to think about me? The greatest thing you'll ever do is submit your life to him. Those things I talked about, the confidence that you'll have in your life and the direction of your life will be greatly impacted. So if you're here and you've never done that, this altar is open. Would you stand? He said, if you're here this morning and you, you, you said, I've got to struggle. I know who God is. I know my life is in His hands. But I just want to do, I want some brothers and sisters to come around and pray for me. Come to the altar. Come to the altar. If you were visiting with us last week, we end our service with an altar call. I thank God for that. Before Tammy and I ended up at Bethel, we visited a lot of churches. The altar call was a deal breaker for me. See, everything we do, from the worship to the message, builds up to this moment right here. The gospel is something that demands a response. It demands that Jesus demands we respond to Him. That—that's what I said about Christmas. They're confronted with Him. It demands that we respond to Him, and we're either going to reject Him. Or we're going to accept him. And that has eternal consequences. But once we do accept him and come into his right relationship with us, then he cares for us. And we care for one another. I'm going to ask all that will. Let's come to the altar. Let's finish up around the altar. If you're here this morning, you have a need, a physical need, a spiritual need. You're in, a, you're in a battle of your life. And you want just some of the brothers and sisters to come around you and pray for you. See, we believe this works. We don't, we don't do this just as a matter of a show. We do it because we believe that God intervenes in, the, in our lives today. If you're here this morning, you raise your hand and say, I'd like for someone to pray with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your blessing. God, we thank you that we can be confident in who you are. God, you've never failed. God, you've been faithful through the years, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God, and you'll be faithful through eternity. God, we mentioned this morning that we are your children, and you are our God. And I thank you for that, and I thank you for the promises and the hope that I have in you. God, I thank you when the storms of life rage, you still can calm the steeds. And God, when they don't, when the storms of life still rage, I can slip into a closet. I can close the door. God, and the storms are left outside and there's peace in your presence. God, you guard our hearts and our minds in you. God, sometimes our understanding of what happening stops, but you're gracious, God, to see us through. Lord, I lift each person who's raised their hand to you today and I ask, God, that you would move in their lives. God, I pray if your spirit has moved on someone for salvation in this service, God, you would draw them to you. God, you do the drawing. Your spirit does the drawing. I don't do the drawing. Salvation is yours. It's not mine. And it's accomplished times in times, God, when I don't see it. But, Lord, we ask that you would move in salvation. We ask that you would move in healing. God, we ask you would move in the storms of life that are here. God, as we move into a holiday season, we know that's a time of loneliness for many people. God, when there's so much festivities going on, many times people are lonely. God, we ask, Lord, God, that you would be, God, the comforter. We ask people would reach out, God. They won't suffer alone. We should never suffer alone when you are in your family. God, we have to be willing to set our pride down and say, "I need help. I need help." God, I do believe that you're all I need, and there's in times that you're all we have. God, and when you're all we have, we know then you're, you're enough. Thank you for this day, God. Worship the Lord. Paul knew Jesus was all he needed. He sat in a prison by himself. Knew he was going to die. But he knew where he was headed. He knew his God. He knew where he was headed. And he knew the joy and the fellowship he had in the saints of God. We still have those promises today. He's all you need in your darkest hour. And some of you have experienced that. He's all you need in your darkest hour. God bless you. If you didn't get what you needed here, you need to linger around, still want someone to pray you, we'll still pray. Brother Dan? Absolutely. Thank you for reminding me of that, Dan. Thank you. Let me get, um, Brother Marsh. will you get some oil? Will you get some anointing oil? Is there anybody else that wants prayer? Is there anybody else that needs prayer? While we're praying anybody else you know the bible says joy the bible says there's any sick among you what says let them call on the elders of the church and anoint their head with oil and the prayer of faith will heal them if there's any sin will be forgiven so we're just doing what the bible tells us to do and we leave the results to god and we trust him and leave those results to him so if you need prayer you need something this morning you're free to come if you need to go you're free to go thank you and if you're leaving i hope you'll come back tonight and eat some turkey